Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, well, anyway, so if you'd like to take your Bibles and turn to uh, Genesis chapter 13 this morning as we get ready to start a class, and, and uh, first of all, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for being who you are and then recording what you did to tell us who you are in the past, and we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that as we study this morning, we might learn more about Jesus. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 13, beginning verse 6, please. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. Let me, let's start a little bit earlier. I'm sorry, verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him, all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land and the length of it and the breadth of it, and I will give it unto thee. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Now, we saw in our last study this great problem that had come up between Abraham and Lot. I mean, here both of them had come out of Egypt very different from how they went into Egypt. When they left Egypt, they both were a lot richer than when they went into Egypt. But the riches turned out to be a real problem because now both Abraham and Lot had so many animals and herdmen to take care of those animals that they both required a very large amount of grazing land for their animals. 
you know those trails that used to go across the country here, the Overland Trail they call them? Anyway, different trails. As the wagon trains made their way across the land over to, you know, from, they usually start off from St. Joe over to San Francisco. At least that's what they show on the, on the wagon train. On the, <laughs> anyway, the paths, these trails kept getting wider and wider until they became like two miles wide because of all the grazing of the cattle there and, the, and the animals that had to take place. Okay, so that probably didn't add anything to it, but anyway. <laughs> but this was coupled with the fact that the Canaanites had animals too. And so they weren't real thrilled to see Abraham and Lot with all their animals. And this problem just hit Abraham broadside. He totally did not see this coming. We've seen that from Abraham, he had his minds on something else. He came out of Egypt, and he had this singular focus on his mind, this driving passion that he had, and it wasn't his hungry animals as to where they were going to feed. It was more concerned about Abraham's hungry soul and where he was going to feed. And so he was hungry for God, Abraham was. And Abraham had sinned in Egypt, and he had separated, become separated from God, as it says in Isaiah 59 too. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you so that he will not hear. And Abraham was longing to get back to the place where the altar was because Abraham was longing to get back to his life with God. And that's what he was wanting. He wanted to get back in that groove of being centered on God. But this problem of there not being enough grazing land, it just caught Abraham totally off guard. He wasn't expecting it. He didn't see it coming. He just had got his life back together again. And he was walking with God when this happened. And what this shows us is when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, such troubles, they keep coming our way. (laughs) Anyway, it shows us in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecutions. It's a promise. It's a promise. You walk with God. You live godly. You expect problems. Like they say in Japan, every time you go through one problem and you have a victory, they say, tighten your helmet straps, referring to the shoguns. They used to say that, tighten your helmet straps. In other words, get ready for the next one. So, and the Lord said in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken unto you that ye might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So this was a serious problem that happened because it just drove a wedge right down the middle of Abraham's family, right down between Abraham and Lot, right down between the student Lot and the mentor Abraham. Tremendous problem that had come up here. And we saw these tragic words in verse 7 where it says, There was a strife. Notice the strife is described in verse 7 as it, it's first between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. That's what you see there in verse 7. But the strife grew and it spread. And so when you read in verse 8, Abraham describes the strife not just as between his herdmen and Lot's herdmen, but now it's a strife between me and thee. It's a strife now between Abram and and Lot. So it started off as a strife between the herdmen of Abram and the herdmen of Lot, and now it's spread 
to become this very personal conflict between Abraham and Lot. That's exactly how it's described in Hebrews 12, 15, where it says, looking diligently, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Bitterness, strife, bitterness, it's called root. And as this root is described as a root that springs up, and that springing up is described as something that will trouble you, and that spreading is described as something that will defile many. You know, that reminds me that we had a, a couple blocks down from us, there, there was a neighbor a few blocks down, a master gardener named Wanda. Wanda, dear lady, she was on dialysis. But she was a master gardener, Wanda was. And, you know, had the garden tours, they'd go to her house, she'd show a garden and so forth. So Cheryl stopped by to see how she was one time, about four years ago. And she said she gave her a little pot, only a pint-sized pot, and, and she said, this is a beautiful morning glory pot. You know, most morning glories, you plant them, they die, you know. Not this one. This is a perennial morning glory pot that she gave to Cheryl. And it looked pretty. It had a little flower on it, you know. And Cheryl brought it back in this little tiny plastic pint-sized pot. had little drains at the bottom for the water to come out. When you water it, so it didn't get waterlogged. And so Cheryl, she just thought to herself, you know, I'll plant it later. But I don't really want it to die, so I'll just take the little pot, and she put it outside our front door on the dirt where the sprinklers would water it, you know, and, she's, and it was behind a plant, so, well, actually, what happened, the plant grew, and it kind of hit the pot. So the pot kind of was out of mind, you know, the little pot. And we forgot about that little plant, you know. Well, the weeks, they turned into months, <laughs> and the months, they turned into a couple of years, and those roots from that morning glory plant, they grew out of those little drains at the bottom for the water. And that morning glory plant, it just became a monster. It went around this little stream and then it went down and we have this raised uh, deck, you know, in the front of the house. It went under the raised deck. It traveled. It went along the front. It went a hundred feet. This little thing did, you know. And all of a sudden, when it became obvious and the flowers are blooming and so forth, it's killing now India hawthorn bushes that are five feet tall. It's grown up 20 feet. It's threatening a 70-foot pine by choking it. <laughs> and it's gone out to our neighbor's property. <laughs> Many are defiled, you know. <laughs> and, I mean, we had to set up, la- I'm not kidding, we had to set up ladders and it's taken literally years of a lot of work to fight this thing back. And just last week, we saw it popping up again. See? Now, why did all that happen? Because we did not look diligently at that root. And we neglected it. And that is a picture of Hebrews 12, where it speaks about the root of bitterness. That's a picture of that, that verse in Hebrews 12, 15, because that morning glory has to be watched diligently. So now you'll all be very careful if you see a morning glory. Because it's so easy for us to become bitter. And someone says, did you know what he said to so-and-so? Oh, that's terrible. Well, what's the matter with him? And then you tell another person who tells another person, and the morning glory's on the run. <laughs> and finally, many are defiled. 
And Abraham realized that this strife between Abraham and Lot was a root of bitterness that had to be stopped. Abraham was diligent here. And that's what we're seeing here, diligence of Abraham. And last week, we saw the sterling character of Abraham just shine forth in verse 8, like we've never seen Abraham before, when he says these words, let there be no strife. That's the principle. And we saw Abraham in that capacity as a great peacemaker. Abraham was a peacemaker. And that's exactly, as a, he was the peacemaker that the Lord Jesus Christ was referring to on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 9, when the Lord said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So when Abraham saw what was, what was happening, he was horrified. And he says, let there be no strife. And when he did that, God looked at Abraham and he saw him making peace. And he said, blessed is Abraham, the peacemaker. He'll be called the children of God. And why are the peacemakers called the children of God? Because as children, they follow what God does, what the God the Father does. God makes peace. The children make peace. And that was the purpose. If you wanted to say, what is the purpose? What is the one purpose For why the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, it was to make peace. It was to make peace. That's what it means when it says in Colossians 1.20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So the concept here is Peace through reconciliation. That's what Abraham's trying to do. To reconcile Abraham and Lot together. Make peace. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He reconciled to make peace. Our problem is sin destroys our peace. It says in Isaiah 57, 20 through 21, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. It doesn't have the ability to rest. It cannot rest. Whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. We had no peace. We had no peace with other people. We had no peace within ourselves. And we had no peace with God. But the Lord Jesus Christ solved the problem. That's what he did. By making us first to have peace with God. Like it says in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when he brought us peace with God, then he brought us peace within ourselves, as it says in 1 John three twenty. For if our heart condemn us, in other words, if our heart says no peace because I'm condemning you, then it says God is greater than, than our heart and knoweth all things. Now, when he brought us peace with God, he also brought us peace with others, as well as it says in Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. So, how did the Lord Jesus Christ make or bring us peace with God. Well, as it says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It was through the blood of his cross, the blood of his cross that was shed on that little mountain in Jerusalem called Calvary. And there he made, there's where he made our peace with God. You might want to turn to Psalm 85, 
verse 9 through 10. Because in Psalm 85, verse 9, it speaks about what happened at Calvary. What happened at that Mount Calvary in there in Jerusalem that brought this peace. Here's what it says. Psalm 85, 9 through 10. Surely his salvation is nigh, nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So when it speaks in this verse about his salvation, that's speaking about God's salvation. In the Hebrew, you know, the Hebrew word Yeshua means Jesus, and this Hebrew word and Yeshua has within it the word salvation, which is appearing here. So God brought his salvation or his, his Jesus near. And he brought it to that glory might dwell in the land, the land of Israel. And so from this verse here, we see that we can picture, we picture there's a wonderful scene here. It's like drama. It's like a theatrics or something like that. Anyway, we have in here two persons. We have over here Mr. Mercy, or Mrs. Mercy, and then we have over here Mr. Truth. And Mr. Truth says, man has sinned, and that's the truth, and he is deserving of hell. And that's the truth. And then we have Mrs. Mercy. And Mrs. Mercy, she's stretching out her hands and she says, but man needs mercy to not be cast into hell for his sins. And then we have another two persons there. And so those two persons, first of all, you know, mercy and truth, they're not reconciled. They're at odds with each other. No agreement. But we have, so mercy extending her hands. She's pleading for the mercy of man. Truth is saying, I won't hear it. Until the demands of truth, which that man has sinned and he deserves to die. He deserves to be cast into hell. Until that's been satisfied, I won't hear it. So truth looks at mercy and turns his back and says to mercy, no mercy until truth is satisfied. And then we have two other persons who are standing there at Calvary. And the one person there is Mr. Righteousness. And Mr. Righteousness is saying, man is not righteous. Man is not right. He doesn't think right. He doesn't say right things. He doesn't do right things. He's just not right. And payment must be made for his unrighteousness. Judgment must fall for man's unrighteousness. And so he says, he turns to Mrs. Mercy and he says, I won't hear of your mercy until the truth is satisfied. And the truth is, is that man has sinned. And so we have this tremendous conflict going on. And then, like I said, there's Mrs. Peace. And she's also stretching out her arms to Mr. Righteousness. And Mrs. Peace is saying, but man needs peace. Please allow him to have peace with God. And Mr. Righteousness turns back to Mrs. Peace and says, I won't hear of it. I won't hear of your peace. No peace until the demands of righteousness are met. So there's no reconciliation between these two people, between Mrs. Peace and Mr. Righteousness. So on the one side, we have you know, Mrs. Mercy and Mrs. Peace, and they're pleading over the other side to Mr. Truth and Mr. Righteousness, and they're standing there, and there's no reconciliation until the judgment demands of truth and the payment demands of righteousness have been met. And then all of a sudden, it happens that between them, between them, Roman soldiers come and they drive nails into the hands and into the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they do, blood spurts out, out of the hands, out of his feet. It's the blood of his cross 
as referred to in Colossians. And those Roman soldiers now have now lifted up that cross in the air, and then they drop it in the hole with such a mighty jolt that all his bones become out of joint. And now, from the cross, his blood continues to flow. It's the blood of his cross. And the blood of his cross is now making peace. It's reconciling from Colossians 1.20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. And suddenly, the person named Truth turns and, and he sees the blood and he sees that demands have been met demands for peace, and suddenly the person named righteousness, he sees that the demands of judgment are being made for man, and seeing the blood, the person named truth turns to the person named mercy, and they're reconciled. They meet. They meet. They have a friendly meeting. And then seeing the blood, the person named righteousness turns to the person named peace, And they kiss each other. That's a kiss that was felt all over the universe. And that reconciliation between mercy and truth and peace and righteousness all happen because of the blood of the cross, the blood of his cross, the blood of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So for the first time ever, now there is a great reason to do what he asked for from the cross. What did he ask for from the cross? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they were forgiven when he said, Father, forgive them. And if the Father said to the Lord Jesus, why? Why should I forgive them? Give them a reason. The Lord Jesus would reply, it's my sinless body that's being broken for them. It's my sinless blood that's being shed for them right now because it's my sinless soul that's being poured out unto death for them right now. And therefore, he could say, Father, forgive them. And the Father forgave because he saw the blood. He saw the blood. You might like to turn, because this is really all about a passage in Exodus. And so if you like to turn to Exodus 12, 13, or maybe you know it already, but anyway, Exodus 12, 13. It says, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And so that was the first part, see? The, the people in the houses, they looked at the blood. And God said, that's a sign for you. But then, he says, now for me, this is not in the scripture, but I'm just telling you this. But then he says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So not until he saw the blood did he pass over, but when he saw the blood, he passed over. And that was the blood of reconciliation that made peace, peace with God. See, the cross was all about Exodus 12, 13. The cross was all about when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. We can just picture the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross speaking right from Exodus 12, 13 with his blood flowing from him. And he's saying to God, here, Father, do you see the blood? Do you see the blood? Here's the blood you've been waiting for. It's the blood that's flowing from me. It's my blood, Father. It's my blood flowing for sinners to spare them from judgment. It's in plain sight now, Father. Do you see the blood? Father, you said, when I see the blood, I will pass over sinners. Here's the blood, Father. Here it is. And the Father would say, yes, my son. Yes, I see the blood. I see your blood. I see your blood flowing for lost sinners so that they can be spared from hell. They can be spared from judgment. Yes, seeing the blood, I can now spare them from judgment. I can now pass over them, 
And I do now pass over every lost sinner that puts himself under the protection of your blood. I see the protecting, God would, the Father would say, I see the protecting umbrella of your blood, and I spare every hell-deserving sinner, which is all of us, who runs under the umbrella of your blood. And then from the cross, with his blood flowing, he then says, Father, forgive them. And he was really saying, Father, pass over them. Father, from Exodus 12, you see the blood, pass over them. And if God passes over sinners who flee for shelter under the blood, he's sparing them from being cast into hell. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has made peace through the blood of his cross, and man and God are reconciled. They come together. Man has peace with God. So what we see on the cross is God made flesh to die for man. What we see on the cross is the work of God as the great peacemaker. And so what we see here, that's why peacemakers see they're called the children of God. And so Abraham, when he says, let there be no strife... Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.